The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, welcome to the Crack House Chronicles, your favorite true crime podcast. I am Donnie, and with me is a man who is about to open up his own store and call it Back and Body Hurts. It's Dale. <laughs> Damn, you told the truth there, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I really like that one. Yeah. Does your back, does your back and body hurt? Always, man. Always. Yeah. This, this old shit sucks. It does, man. <laughs> How's it going? It's going great, man. How are you? Um, I'm doing well. Doing yep. well. Yeah. And just so y'all know, Dale never knows what I'm going to say about him. No, that, that one got me there. <laughs> very good. Very good. Very good. Especially coming off this uh, third year anniversary for me. Man, ain't that something? Pretty cool. Three right? years. As of yesterday, as we record, well, what's today? The 25th, so the 24th. Yeah, three years. Yeah. Don't even seem like it, does it? No, it don't. It's crazy. Yeah. It's just, time flies when you're having fun. Man, oh, I enjoy man, this, man. We have a blast. Yeah, I enjoy this. This is a lot of fun. It's relaxing, learning about some true crime stories and, you know. Interacting with all you guys. Yeah. It's fun stuff. That's, the, that's the best part, our fans. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. All three of you. We appreciate you. Yeah, we appreciate all <laughs> I'm of you. i kidding, guys. <laughs> All right, man. You got any good shout-outs to anybody you want to talk about today? Dude, we got one big one here. I'd like to give a big shout-out to our buddy Angie Chaplin down in uh, West Texas now, whatever, next door, wherever she's living now. I think <laughs> she's, she's in Alabama. Alabama I think. She's been moving around a little bit. Had some, had some stuff going on. But anyway, we'd like to give a big shout-out to her being our number one uh, Patreon. Hmm. Patreon patron. Man, ain't that something? She come on board and... Jumped right in there. Man, yeah. So uh, we're going to hook up some stuff for you to send you some extra stuff. And then uh, I think um, maybe I'll make up a couple little, uh, what do you call them, like a little perk, perk packages for the next two or three who, yeah. who join up and send them something special out. Yeah. Because it's really cool. We really, really, really appreciate you. And we may have a contest to get on there and see who can maybe win some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Do some fun stuff. We will start adding more stuff. I know we don't, there's not a lot on there right now, but it's uh, pretty good that, you know, the extra 30 minute interview and what's well, well, the whole interview with just extra 30 minutes of audio than, than the other one. But we're going to start uh, getting on that pretty hard, I think. Yeah. I'm yeah. excited about it, dude. Yeah, me too. Good stuff, bro. It is, man. I'm enjoying it. It's fun. Anything else? That's all I got. I'm ready to do this. All right. We've got a good episode this week, guys. We Well, for one thing, we don't have an interview. Yeah, so we're not waiting on a phone call. No, uh -uh. <laughs> or a Zoom call or anything like that. So. Right, yeah. All right, Dale, we've got a case today. We are talking about Kelly Bordeaux. Bordeaux. Yes, but she was born Kelly Henson in St. Cloud, Florida. Her mother was Jonna Henson. She had a brother, Matt, and a sister, Olivia. Well, I'm assuming she had a dad, but I can't find a dad. I couldn't find anything about the dad. Right. So if you know, let us know. Yeah. But anyway, Kelly was a beauty queen, school cheerleader. She was always a magnet for males. I mean, she was very popular. Very popular. Yeah, cute little girl, about five foot one, tough as nails. That she was described and weighed 
99 to 100 pounds, right. if that much. Yeah, Probably soaking little, wet. Life of the party. Pretty much, yeah. Just out of high school, she had met a guy named Mike Bordeaux. Yep. Now, this guy, he she liked a lot. I mean, <laughs> she she was really taking to Mike. I think so. Yep. Apparently, they got married. They got married, and <laughs> they were married for almost two years. And at that point, Kelly, she had this dream of joining the military yeah i think her grandfather had talked to her about it a little bit or something yeah i so think he was, was kind of a veteran yeah and yeah he talked to her and it was her thing to join the army she just felt like that was her calling yeah yeah pretty much which is probably a little shocking to mike but you know after we get married i think i'm going to army and she just wanted to help people too right so she joined the army and after i guess after her basic training she was stationed at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Right down the road here. Yeah, it ain't far too far from here. Yeah. Just a couple or a few hours away. Right. And Mike moved with her to Fort Bragg. Yes. And like I said, they've been less married for just less than two years. And the couple settled into an off-base apartment there in Fayetteville, North Carolina. But they had a lot of stress adjusting to a new life there, Dale. Yeah. I think Mike was having a tough time finding a job. And he started drinking pretty heavily. Right. And from all accounts, uh, they just weren't getting along too well. Yeah, I think she had about enough of that. Yeah. So they decided to take a a trial break from each other. Right. You know what that means. Yeah. I know. <laughs> it's just a hop, skip, and a jump from a divorce. Yeah. Which I think she had some other stuff going on also. Yeah. And that's... That right there will make you just had enough of him. Yep. So Mike, he returned to Florida. Right. And Kelly left Kelly alone there in Fayetteville, North Carolina. But Kelly, before they had moved to Fayetteville, she had had a boyfriend on the side. She had been having an affair on Mike. For about a year, I think. Yeah. And this guy's name was Justin Thompson. And she had met this guy back in St. Cloud before joining the military. So you think here, um, I know this is a little side note, but we it's been a while since we just had a straight one winner, but I'm thinking maybe maybe this is why she wanted to join the Army. Maybe you think she's trying to break free a little bit here, and then when he followed her, he being the, her husband followed her up here, uh, it's kind of like, eh, she just found a reason to send him back home. It could have been. I've never heard anything. That's just my, my intuition. Yeah, it could have been. Of course, the other guy's from Florida, too, so I don't know. You know. Well, you got to remember, Kelly was just 23 at the time. Right. And she had met this Justin guy in a bar. Hmm. And she was with some friends the night she had met him, and she wasn't wearing her wedding ring. Right. And I think word had gotten to him that— Yeah, somebody let it slip that he was married, but he didn't care. No, he didn't care. Right. He, he, almost, he even said that it wasn't his problem. Right. And so the whole time, the whole year, now, Mike didn't know. He had no idea. He had no idea that Kelly was running around on him. Mm. And it was about this time Kelly had gotten Justin to come up to Fayetteville, North Carolina, Mm -hmm. and hang out with her. And it was during one of Justin's weekend visits to Fayetteville that Kelly met another guy. And his name was Nicholas Holbert. Right. I think he went by Nick. Nick Holbert. Yes. And he worked at a local bar there in Fayetteville called Froggy Bottoms. Yeah, I think he did side little side gigs for them and whatever they needed, handyman stuff. Yeah. And occasionally maybe bartend, I don't, but I don't think he was like a permanent employee or nothing. Yep. But he was there the night uh, Kelly and Justin had gone for drinks. They, mm-hmm. He was there that night. Oh, yeah. 
Now, from everything I read, Dale, Nick gave Kelly his telephone number. Yeah, which is pretty ballsy if you think about it because she's there with her boyfriend. And this guy gives her uh, his phone number. but So she's just thinking, okay, well, this will be a drinking buddy when uh, when Justin goes home or something. He's he's here at the bar all the time. And mm-hmm. So that's kind of cool to have another friend. Yeah, pretty much. You know, whether he's thinking this, I don't know, but that's, that's her point of view. Yeah, because Kelly, I mean, she, like we said, she was very popular there in St. Cloud, man. Mm. And I guess being in a new town, new state, she it was her instinct to have new friends. Yeah. She wanted to be around people. So she's racking them up. Mm-hmm. Now, we're going to move ahead to April the 13th of 2012. This was Friday, Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. And Kelly was going, <laughs> yeah, Kelly was going out because. Well, Nick, Nick had offered her to ask her if she wanted to come out to the bar and say that he would come pick her up and take her back home. Because Kelly said Kelly was in the military and she didn't like to drink and drive. Right. And she didn't want to risk anything about her um, service there to be able to, you know, get arrested or anything like that. Right. She was like a, a medic or something in the, in, the, in the Army, right? Yeah, combat medic. Yeah, so it's not like she was a drill sergeant or nothing. So. Yeah, this is a weekend. It was on Friday the 13th. It mm-hmm. was on Friday night. And she was about to go out and have some fun there just have a good time since uh, Justin had gone back. Mm-hmm. And like I said, Kelly wouldn't drink and drive, so her new acquaintance guy that she'd met, Nick Holbert, had given her a ride to Foggy Bottoms. Right. Now, Justin, who had met Nick and Kelly at the bar just a week earlier, he wasn't too happy about this deal. No, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't really mad at her about going out with another dude. It was His deal was he thought the guy was really creepy. Yeah. At least that's what he said. Now, he might have been pissed because she was going out with another dude because, you know, probably not her most favorite thing to hear, but he had a bad feeling about the guy. Yeah, he's... Uh, Justin even said that he would just sta- uh, sit and stare at people. Hmm. Yeah, it was very, very creepy. But Kelly was like, oh, I'll be fine. And she, but she was there to have fun, and that's all it was. And there's a place she goes a lot, so she's you know, not thinking much about it. And I'm thinking this Froggy Bottoms was right near her apartment. Yeah, I tried to find out exactly where it was, but I'm not positive the distance. Yeah, I couldn't find out exactly where Kelly was living, but. This uh, Froggy Bottom was like on the main drag there in, in Fayetteville. Right. But she, like I said, she was there as a friend, and he was trying to be a boyfriend, yeah. pretty much. You know, that's a guy angle. Yeah, but Kelly just thought of him as, as a drinking buddy. Yeah, and they went out and they having fun, just singing some karaoke and drinking a little bit, and I think she's running around, being friendly, flirting with other guys, you know, yeah. just regular, just being herself. Yeah, singing some karaoke. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Kelly would leave froggy bottoms that night with nick sometime after midnight yeah i think it was about 20 after one actually okay i think about one o'clock he told her or excuse me about one o'clock she had told him that she was ready to go she was going to go pay her bar tab and then uh, she wanted to go home yeah but now i've been reported that her bar tab wasn't enough to make her drunk no actually it was a quote that said her bar tab wasn't enough to make anybody dizzy yeah so, so she, so she definitely wasn't hammering or anything here. But when she went to pay her, her bar tab, the bartender told her a little something, Dale. Yeah, he's like, uh, while uh, he went out the door to go get the car, and she went to pay her bill. She said, "Look, I don't know what you're going to do or what y'all going, but you definitely need to be careful. That guy is a convicted sex offender. Sex offender. Yeah, he is a registered sex offender. Yes." So that just kind of smacked her right in the face because she had no idea. Yeah, because, I mean, it was just a drinking buddy. And, like I said, he had went on out to the car. Yeah. And when she came out, 
She decided she was just going to walk home. Yeah. She wasn't having no more to do with Nick. No, done. Yeah. So this is when he confronted her about it. Well, she came walking out of the bar, and she walked right by his car, and he goes, hey, hey, I thought I was giving you a ride home. And she turned around, and she said, hey, fuck you, you fucking sex offender. Yeah. And kept walking. Well, this dude just flipped a switch. Yeah. And jumped out and smashed her in the back of the head. It was like night and day. Yeah. Yeah. Because now she knew... And so it just flew all over him when she came out and said that. And that's exactly what she said. Yeah. According to sources. Yep. So that's what happened. It smashed her in the head, then actually threw her into his car. Yeah. And that's the last time Kelly was ever seen. Right. Yeah. Now, uh, this boyfriend, Justin, that she had, she'd received a text from Kelly's cell phone later that night reading, got home safe. I'm going to bed. Call me tomorrow. Right. Now, this was weird because a uh, text message before that was, hey, call me, call me, call me. Yeah. And I don't know if that was the one, you know, just before that or a little bit before that because I think it, uh, she had actually texted me and said that uh, Nick's fixing to take me home about 1 o'clock. So that was probably the call me was probably while she was at the bar, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. But Justin did call her. He called her all weekend to no avail. Right. After that last text message, nothing else ever happened on the phone. No. And just keep in mind, too, that her husband, Mike Bordeaux, he had no idea that she had a, a boyfriend on the side. Yeah. Mm-mm. So just, just just keep that in mind. I have no clue. Yep. Now, the next Monday morning... Kelly didn't report for duty at Fort Bragg. Right. Now, also, Justin had called uh, the cops Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Because he couldn't get a hold of her. And it's like, not like her to be able to get a hold of her. And they just basically played it off. So, well, you know, it's not basically saying it wasn't no big deal. And then until Monday. And then that's when uh, the Army was like, nah, she's she's definitely not something's up. Mm-hmm. And then that's when they started taking it a little bit seriously. Yeah, Justin called all weekend to the to the police. Right, but this little delay is also going to make Michael look a little bit uh, more uh, guilty to the cops because they're going to him and asking what's going on and why why was she not you know uh, why was she not reported earlier? Yes, and saying you know we know you're in Florida because he had a, an alibi in Florida. But the way they were looking at the timeline is like you had time to drive up here, do something, drive back, and still have your alibi. But mm-hmm. but it's basically their own fault that they're putting him in the crosshairs because they just didn't pay any attention when they got the calls on the weekend. Yeah. So that's kind of shitty for him. Yeah. But the police department's number one person of interest was Mike. Yeah. Yeah, they, they were definitely set on him. And the bad part of Batman, they come in there and go, look. So was because she's having an affair, is that why you did it? And she's like what yeah that's <laughs> so, what we said keep in mind he had no idea yes yeah, so they're dropping all this on the same time she's having an affair and she's missing did you kill her that was like yeah that was like a smack in the face to him yeah crazy yeah he knew nothing to mind his own business trying to give her some time to because you know you know and the whole time he's thinking well maybe you know i'll give her a little time and we're gonna get back together but that was his whole thinking yeah but we all know how that give me some time and some space we'll get back together stuff works yeah it don't but then uh, that's when Mike, he had his own suspect in mind. Mm-hmm. And he was thinking that it was this Justin guy right. that he just learned about. Just learned about. And Justin, he never thought the, that uh, that the husband would, would be the kind of guy to do it because he just didn't think he had it in him. He's like, like I said, he was like the guy sitting at home waiting to give her time. 
he was more of that kind of person than to be vindictive. Mm-hmm. And uh, the boyfriend Justin actually was had his sights on Nick because he just knew the guy was just creepy. Yeah. Now the police, they there's three persons of interest they got going on right here, mm-hmm. and they had no evidence to connect any of them for anybody. Yeah. To Kelly's going missing, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, both the strange husband Mike and Kelly's boyfriend Justin had provided alibis, like we said, and they were each hundreds of miles away in St. Cloud, Florida. Right, and they knew that Nick was the last person to see her. Yeah. But they still couldn't connect him either. Now, they got him on surveillance in the bar. Right, that they were together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they knew that that happened, and he, he, his story was that when they left the bar, uh, she went and paid her tab. He went and got the car. She came to the car. He took her out to her apartment complex. Actually, he dropped her off at the entrance of it. He didn't take, take her in there. Correct. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Just up to the entrance because he's like, well, he thought maybe his story was that uh, maybe there was somebody at her apartment that she didn't want him to see or they didn't want uh, them to see him. So she had asked to be dropped off at the entrance, and that's what he did. And mm-hmm. then he returned to the bar. Yeah. When she did return to the bar, and that was on uh, surveillance as well. Yeah. So that's just that's just crazy. That's what he told him the police. Right. Now during all this time, they were being interviewed on TV. Right. Nick and her husband Mike and the boyfriend Justin. Yeah. They were being interviewed on TV about Kelly's disappearance, and people were watching these interviews. And there was a private investigator. His name was David Marshburn. Right. And he saw these interviews going on. And the first thing he saw when uh, he saw Nick's interview was, this guy's lying. Right. Well, he's a, a private investigator, but he's also a bounty hunter. Yes. And said that he had brought in like over 500 people, you know, if he had to guess a number. And he, he said, Dude, it's, it's my job to be able to read people and know what's going on and what they're thinking and try to be a couple steps ahead. And that's why I'm really good at my job. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the first private eye things he did and he would just started looking into it on, on his own but like you said yeah he was watching with his wife at home and seeing the guy on the interview and goes this guy's lying i can tell by the way he's doing the way he's looking the way his eyes are the way he's holding himself he's lying yep you know and he's basically hmm, i can i can read the bs it's just my job yep and he yeah he people are feeding me bs and i can feed people bs too right yeah so he starts un, unknowingly to anyone he starts in trying to find out what's going yeah, on. Yeah, I guess his family's on one know and he was doing it. Right. And he didn't tell the family nothing. Yeah. So he was going. He told his wife and his family he was going to see if he can find this girl. Yes. And he said, "I can find anybody that's on the run, but finding somebody just sitting still that's going to be another task." Right. And David Marshburn suspicions about Nick grew when he learned that he was a homeless drifter, and he was living in his truck in a make. A makeshift camp back behind Froggy Bottoms yeah. bar there yeah. where he worked. Crazy. Yeah, basically said he had like a parachute and a tarp up in some trees and he would just drive his his car or whatever he was driving underneath that and that was basically his home. Mm-hmm. So he was basically was living out of the automobile. He just had a little tent over top of it or whatever. Yep. Now just keep in mind too that the police are still looking at Nick, uh, Mike and Justin, mm-hmm. these guys and this when they discovered that Nick was a convicted sex offender. Yes. And he had sexually assaulted and beaten a five-year-old girl when he was 16 years old. Yeah, and I tried to find out a little more details on this, but I couldn't find anything except for they were saying 
10 years after the fact, this girl was still in a wheelchair. Yes. So whatever he'd done was pretty damn severe. It was fucking brutal, man. Yeah. Yeah. They should have locked him up then. Yeah. So they, so anyway, there they knew that they could lock him down and yeah. keep him there anyway just for that while they're looking for everything else. Yeah. But this David Marshman said Nick Holbert was a predator around females of any age. Yeah. And when they locked him up, uh, when they locked Nick up, the, the private eye was like, mm, if that girl is somewhere and he's got her, she's dead now. Yeah, exactly. Because there's nobody to go back and tend to her. Nobody knows where she is. So yeah. He was kind of mad that they locked him up. But I think he did the right thing. Yeah. That way he couldn't run. Mm-hmm. And they, they put him in. And when they locked him up, they locked him up for a year. Yeah. For, for failing to register as a sex offender in Fayetteville. Yeah. Yeah. So while he was in jail, the only thing he could do is go around to the areas where Nick had been and David Marshburn wound up working hundreds of hours searching woods, ponds, searching the lakes and everything. Yeah. But he failed to find any trace of Kelly. So he des- he devised a plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, several stages in this plan, Dale. And the first one was to befriend Nick. Yes. Yeah, so he was waiting. So as soon as he got out of jail this year later, he went to him right then. Yeah. And he went and knocked on his door, mm-hmm. and when he answered the door, he said, Nick, I'm David Marshman. I'm a PI, and I'd like to talk to you about Kelly. I don't believe you done it. Right. Stage one. Yeah. Get him to be friends and tell him you don't believe he did it. Yeah, so he told him right out of the gate that, you know, that I want to help you clear your name so we can find her. Right. You know, and then he said he also knew that he didn't have any money, so whatever he do, even I think he paid off his parole fines or whatever yeah and then anything he needed to you know even if they didn't talk about kelly when they were talking if he needed money for food or for cigarettes or anything he would give him money almost every time they were together because he needed to eat yeah he needed a friend and he needed some money he mm-hmm. knew as long as he was giving him money he was going to keep coming back and what's crazy too this nick would call david marshman at all weird times and he would even call him while his family was eating, eating. yeah, yeah and yeah. And he would get up and go just to give him money. Yeah, it's like an hour away. It wasn't like he was just going down the street. Yeah. Said it really put a strain on this guy's married life, too, you know, just because he was doing this. But he was so content on catching this guy. He was doing everything he could. Mm-hmm. He just knew it, felt it in his gut that this guy was guilty. Yeah, but he couldn't find – the police there couldn't find anything, and David couldn't find anything. So he was sticking to his plan to uh, just befriend him and see what he could get out of him. Right. And like I said, he, David Marshburn, he just kept getting frustrated and frustrated. And at one point, he he even said he wanted to take him out to a barn somewhere and just start cutting his fingers off until he told him what it, was going on. Yeah, he was pissed off. Yeah. Because he knew he was so close, but yet he just wouldn't tell him nothing he wanted to know. Mm-hmm. So I think part two was to, to come up with uh, something to say, well, maybe he did do it. You know, maybe you did do it, Nick, but we, we can still help you. I got to figure yeah. out what's going to do. So. As uh, as the plan goes on, part two starts taking effect. Yeah, this is when David uh, wrote up a fake plea bargain, right, with a bunch of legal jargon on it. He made it look official and made it look real good. Yes, and the plea deal was that if you told where Kelly was and apologized to the family, you'd get like probation and rehabilitation, and maybe do three years and. In a mental hospital or something. And, and then you get an apartment and a computer and all this stuff, and they would really work on helping you. Yeah. Yeah. And he was really looking this up and down. Yeah, he looked at it several times, read it over, read it over, and, you know, thought about it, and he's like, nah. 
there ain't no way I'm signing this because they would just take it away. Yeah, they'll take it back. So that made uh, uh, Marshman just go, hmm, I know he did it now. You know, because why would you even consider signing it if mm-hmm. he didn't do it? Yeah. All right. Yep. And it was that point, it was two months into being friends with Nick, that that was when he got the concrete evidence. And right. I've got to get it out of him, he said. Yeah, just got to get him to say it. Yep. And for more than two years, Kelly Bordeaux's family searched for answers. Yeah, this whole time they're still trying to do it, giving out flyers, mm-hmm. you know, and everything. And meanwhile, they know nothing about what's going on. They didn't know David Marshman was even involved with anything like this. Right. No that's, idea. Yeah, this was crazy. And it was this point, David, he pretty much throwed in all of his chips, Dale. Well, he's coming into part three where yeah. he's basically telling you or saying, well, you know, we kind of know you did it, but but he don't want to say it, you yeah. know, basically. So this is where he starts coming up with some good stuff. Like uh, he has his wife call him, and he goes, well, this is my inside uh, my inside person. And it's a, he called her a CC, but it was actually his wife. Yeah. He said, I got somebody on the inside, and they're going to let me know any time that they hear anything on your case if there's going to be an indictment or anything like that, she's going to let me know. And I've just got a phone call that they're getting ready to indict you. Yeah. That's what's crazy, though. He didn't even know what indictment meant. Right. That's what's crazy. And then he wrote up, you know, some I think some more legal stuff. Because even this, you know, uh, Marshman said, well, it's either a lot of that stuff is even really hard for me to understand. So I knew if I didn't understand it, he damn sure didn't. Yep. So uh, he told me that the indictment was getting ready to come down. And so he even went so far to have... He had a fake indictment drawn up, and then uh, tell him he's going to be under police surveillance. And then he actually called a friend of his who was a bondsman to sit outside in an old uh, Crown Victoria to sit outside uh, Nick's house, like they're watching him. Yeah. And it started working. He's just getting paranoid as hell now. Yeah. And he told David Marsh, he said, they're watching me, man. They're watching me. They're coming after me. We got to do something. They got something. Yep. Yep. And Nick is pretty much then suddenly ready to sign these earlier fake plea deals. <laughs> and accepting the phony offer of a like a slap on the hand. Right. Yeah. And he agrees to lead David Marshman to Kelly's body. Right. So he's like, so you ready to tell me what's going on? Yeah. He's like, yes. Yep. Now, David Marshman is finally about to learn the answers he's been looking for since mm-hmm. Kelly's been missing. And he said he walked over to him and put his hand on his shoulder and said, Nick, are you ready to tell me? He said, yeah. Did you do something to Kelly? He said, Yes. Mm-hmm. He told uh, David Marshman where she was. They, they were out in the woods looking, and they really couldn't find exactly where it was. And then when they got to where they thought, because he had a, uh, Marshman had a dog, he had a cadaver dog. Yes. And uh, they went out when they were out in the woods, the dog started hitting on his spot. Well, he kind of kept Nick looking in a different, a different spot, because he wasn't sure where he had buried her. Because it wasn't a spot that meant anything to him. He was just basically had went out in the woods that night, run out there and buried her, and then went back to the to the bar. Yeah. So just keep in mind too, this was two years later. Right. So then basically what they did is he took a uh, like a probing rod or whatever and he stuck it in the ground and it just went way in. So he yeah. knew he was finding something. Yeah. So they started looking for stuff, but then uh, it was about to get dark, so he was going to have to take the dude back home. So he kind of knew what was going on. So he he scratched back the stuff a little bit and seen a part of her coat. Yeah. And a little bit farther, and he took a picture of it. And a little bit more, and he found something else, and he took a picture of it. Well, I think he he was started texting those and sending them to the actual investigation, to, to the investigator. Yeah. And uh, 
So he said, well, it's getting dark. I'm going to take you home. We'll come back in the morning, and we'll go see if we can find this stuff. And the guy goes, you can't take me home. He goes, well, why can't I take you home? He goes, because the cops are watching. It's the Crown Vigs out there. <laughs> and the uh, management said he even forgot his own trick. So he said he just put him up in a motel that night and told him I'd come back and pick you up in the morning. So he said, we went back in the morning, and surprisingly, the guy was still there. And he come out, and he said, you know, kind of made a joke. said, kind of funny, I guess. No one, ain't no reason. I mean, uh, there's no wonder that nobody's found Kelly. He said, hey, we can't even find her. Yeah. Because he went back to the hotel to get uh, Nick, and he thought he might have killed himself or something. Yeah, or, or just bolted out. Yeah. But Nick was still there at the hotel. Yeah, and he was wanting to go show him. So they went back to the place, and then that's when they found him, and, and uh, that's when the cops came in. Yeah. Because he had told them, we found his stuff, and he sent him the pictures of the coat and a, and a leg bone, I believe it was. Yeah. And as, uh, that's what the cops said. Well, when you go back next time, you go back in there and find the spot, and then you call us, and we'll come on in. So what happened is when the cops came in, and uh, Nick tells uh, the detectives come in, the detective pulled him over to the side, and tells uh, and Nick tells Detective Locklear, you know, that he had confessed to Mashburn. At this point, the detective uh, had on the body cam, or one of the cops did, because they got it all on, on camera. He come in and said, you know, you need to tell us what you did. According to Nick, said uh, when she came out and went down the sidewalk of Froggy Bottoms, she passes Nick's car and she's walking home. And Nick says, hey, honey, I thought I was taking you home. She said, fuck you, you child molester. Right. And it was, it was something like that. Yeah, so kind he, of like what I said. Yeah. So he ran up behind her and he hit her and knocked her out. Right. He threw her in the car, drove her to, I guess, his little place back there behind the bar. Yeah. And uh, he lays her on the ground and he pulls her clothes off mm-hmm. and he goes ahead and starts having sex with her right. that was his exact words yes and while he's on top of her she i guess started, she started coming to yeah. and screaming yeah and this is when uh he grabbed a rock and he just beat her in the head with it yeah and it was a few seconds after that she was dead yeah so he just beat her with a rock till she was dead yep and he wrapped her head up with a trash bag mm. yep so basically just to keep any evidence from running out on the ground from bleeding all over his campsite or whatever and then he uh, tells the police he buried her nearby and went back in and stayed at the bar. Right. So just like, mm-hmm, wrapped her up and went back in, and then he come back and buried her later. Now, Nick admitted that he had sent the text message to Kelly's boyfriend, Justin. Right, the one that said, uh, I'm home or whatever. Yeah, call I'm going to bed. Call me tomorrow. Yeah. And then he threw Kelly's phone in a nearby river after he had killed her. Yes. Now, Nick had led the private investigator, David Marshburn, and his cadaver dog to the shallow grave where... Uh, her mm-hmm. body was buried. Right. Now, according to uh, David Marshman. This is what he was telling the cops. Yeah, this right? way. Yeah. He said, so we dig down a little, find pieces of the jacket. And so we're digging again and find the leg bone. Right. And we dig again, there's a whole jacket. And we take the jacket and pull the whole jacket back, and there she is. Mm. Just like he said. Yep. Bag on her head, the whole nine yards. Yep. And David Marshman even said a little prayer, and he said, baby girl, you're, you're going, going home now. <sighs> you're going home, baby girl. Chills, man. Yeah. And this is when Holbert was arrested. Mm-hmm. And he pled guilty to first-degree murder. Yep. And they, uh, that was okay with the family. That way they didn't have to go to court. Yeah. And he was he was pleading first-degree with no chance for parole. Yeah. Yeah. I bet he was like, where is this plea deal at, man? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sucker. Yeah. But Holbert tried to apologize to Kelly's family at the sentencing hearing. Mm. That didn't go too good. No, it didn't. Kelly's mom, Jonna Henson, demanded that he listen to her, even look at her while yeah. she's in the courtroom 
giving her statement. Yeah, she was pissed off. And she even told him, said, I don't understand how you could take a beautiful girl. For pretty much no reason at all. Yeah, and beat the life out of her. With a damn rock. Yeah. But, but just keep in mind, too, the family did not know about David Marshburn. Right. And then they found out later that he'd taken this on his own mm-hmm. to find out what happened to Kelly. Think about that. That's crazy. Now, David Marshburn admits there were times he almost gave up, Dale. Yeah. But he says he felt morally bound to keep going for the sake of Kelly's family. Yeah. And her, you know, her sister even said, you know, when she found out, said, you know, he's doing it for my family and we don't even know. And I'm like, he's doing this just because he wants to make that difference. It's astronomical. It's more than my family could ever show gratitude for. I mean, they were just blown away. Yeah. Can you imagine? Yep. It's crazy, man. It's like like the guy riding in with a white hat, you know, and save the day. Yeah. Mm. Well, they didn't bring her home. But, I mean, they did, but, I mean, it's it's sad it ended that way, but at least they know where she's at, you know. Mm-hmm. But now Kelly was given a military funeral. Yep, full honor. Yeah. If it hadn't, really, if it hadn't been for uh, David Marshburn, I mean, they didn't tell him where this would have been. No, because they, they were all set on the, the poor old husband. Yeah. And, man, I mean... I know he. I don't want to say he's a victim, but but he was. I mean, you think about it. He's just innocent <laughs> down there. Don't know anything, poor fella. Mm-hmm. And this is blindsides him. I mean, I know he wasn't like victim of a crime, but wow. And the whole time, you know, he even said that I don't care about Justin. I don't care about her having an affair. I just want my wife back. Yeah, I just I want, want her to come home. I yeah. want her to be found. Or be found. Yeah. Yeah. This is Mike Bordeaux, her husband. I mean, I, I I've seen some interviews with him. He was a pretty straightforward guy right um, and i guess they was probably trying to push his buttons you know or even probably in the media I, you know i didn't watch a ton of that stuff but you know about what about what do you think about the affair and he's like i don't care about it that's, that's not why we're here i mm-hmm. just want to find her yeah yeah so you know he's a pretty good dude yeah he's a pretty good guy but that is the story of kelly bordeaux mm. yeah but i'm glad she was found and had a good ending for yeah. the family good as you can ask for yeah he's in prison without possibility of parole yeah he didn't get out no he's not getting out and him being a sex offender might be a little bit of prison justice going on might be never know should be yep my opinion <laughs> yeah all right dale we are going to get out of here dude let's roll man we want everyone to be safe please be careful and always be aware of your surroundings because the next episode could be about you this is the crack, crack house, house chronicles, chronicles.